Welcome everyone to the Southern Spectre Podcast. I'm your host Isaiah, and as always, thanks for listening. On today's show, I have a couple of very true missing person stories, so I hope you stick around and enjoy them. But first, I'd like to remind each and every one of you to be sure to follow the Southern Spectre on social media. You can find me on Facebook at the Southern Spectre Podcast. Also, be sure to follow me along on Instagram at The Southern Spectre. Also, don't forget to be on the lookout for my new podcast premiering very soon. The trailer is now available at anchor.fm forward slash Southern Spoonful. If you love travel, food, culture, and good people, then you'll most definitely love the podcast. So to check out behind the scenes photos and the latest and greatest news with The Southern Spoonful, be sure to follow me on Instagram at the Southern Spoonful Podcast. Now, without further ado, let's get on with the show. This is the Southern Spectre Podcast. Enjoy. The year was 1985 and all the senior high school students from Linwood High School in Linwood, Kansas were getting excited about their soon-to-be new beginnings. One of these students was Randy Leach, and like the rest of his peers, Randy was anticipating their high school achievements by attending a pre-graduation party at a friend's home. In preparation for the party, Randy asked his mother if she would allow him to borrow her 1985 Dodge 600 sedan that now occupied their driveway. Of course, she agreed as any other... Of course, she agreed as any mother would, but only if Randy were home that night by midnight. Randy agreed to his mother's terms and told his parents goodbye and left the residence at 6.30 that night. Randy Leach made his first stop of the night at a nearby convenience store where he proceeded to put gas in his mother's car and purchased candy along with a can of soda. Like most students his age, Randy had taken up a hobby. Randy loved cars, especially his 1969 Ford Mustang, which now sit in a garage awaiting its restored state over in the town of DeSoto, Kansas roughly 10 minutes from Linwood. Randy made his way to the garage that housed his beloved Mustang, where he worked on the car over the next couple of hours. Randy worked anxiously on the car until it was time for him to make his way to the party, which was being held at a friend's house. Randy showed up to the party at around 9.30. The home was not far from Randy's own, maybe five miles. Some say the party was epic, and packed to capacity with nearly 150 people in attendance. Others that attended this party would later admit to the consumption of drugs and alcohol that were also present on this night. Randy Leach was known about town to be quite the athlete, and because of this, Randy wasn't known to partake in any drugs or at least to anyone's knowledge. Occasionally, Randy could be seen enjoying a few beers. However, no one at the party recalls seeing Randy with any beer in his possession. 
Randy's friends would later note that he had been sober upon arrival, but shortly thereafter, Randy was witnessed stumbling his way through the crowds with an almost drunken gait. Some questioned Randy about his condition, to which he responded that he wasn't quite sure what was wrong with him. Once again, Randy was a massive athlete, standing six foot three and weighing 220 pounds. Even if he had consumed a few beers, it should not have affected Randy to this effect. The morning after the party, Randy's parents, Harold and Alberta Leach, woke up at 6 a.m. only to discover no sign of their son Randy or Alberta's car. Trying their best not to get too upset about the situation, they began calling some of Randy's friends, local hospitals, and finally, the police. Local police assumed that this was an open and shut case as they were, after all, dealing with a teenager who had probably consumed too much alcohol and was afraid of facing his parents in his current state. Police headed to the home the party had been held the night before. There was no sign of Randy, his mother's car, or much sign that any party had taken place either. Police would begin questioning students and people that had attended last night's party. Some of Randy's classmates revealed to the authorities how Randy had been acting at the party. All who came forth about this piece of information agreed that he had gotten to the party before 10 p.m., but no one saw him consume any beer or take any drugs. Some claimed that around 12.30 a.m., Randy had been seen searching for his car keys. No one could confirm that he had indeed found the missing keys, but given that Randy's vehicle was nowhere to be found on the premises, one could assume that he in fact found the keys and made his way home. Detectives had come to the deduction that Randy had last been seen sometime around 1.30 a.m. The party's host informed police that everyone had cleared the area by 2.15 a.m. One of Randy's friends had taken up the responsibility of being a designated driver that night and was offering rides home to those who could not safely operate their own vehicles. This friend informed police that he, like most of the rest of the party's attendees, had seen Randy's drunken-like condition and helped him back to his mother's car. He instructed Randy to remain at the vehicle until he returned from dropping off his inebriated passengers at their respective homes. Upon his return to retrieve Randy, which was around 2 a.m., neither Randy or his mother's car could be found anywhere. The designated driver had assumed that Randy had attempted to drive himself home against better judgment. An APB was sent out over the radios and all other means of communication that local authorities had in their possession to be on the lookout for a gray 1985 Dodge 600. The hours ticked by and no sign of Randy or the car had turned up. No one at the party or otherwise had any idea what became of Randy Leach. Randy had no known enemies. He was known for being a great kid with a good home life and this type of behavior was completely abnormal for him. Police suspected that Randy was indeed a runaway, although 
Harold and Alberta Leach believed Randy to be a victim of foul play. Police would later reveal that they had been wrong in their assumption of Randy being a runaway child and that he had indeed met a bitter end. In 1988, Linwood, Kansas was home to just 370 residents and all of them had been shaken by the shocking missing persons case of Randy Leach. Most people in the community offered support to Randy's family in hopes the 17-year-old would be found. Over the first few weeks following Randy's disappearance, police would receive a number of leads and tips in the case, but over time, these seemed to become more and more infrequent, and the trail began to grow cold. In their desperation for answers, Harold and Alberta hired a private investigator, made contact with several psychics, and even searched the back roads and woods themselves in hopes of finding their missing son. Rumors soon began surrounding the case. Some had heard that Randy had witnessed something at the party that night, something he wasn't supposed to see and had been killed for being a witness. Others believed that Randy had become depressed and eventually suicidal and had died by his own hand. Then there were those that thought Randy had in fact run away to start his life somewhere better anew. One man had come to detectives informing them that he himself had been kidnapped by a cult that had been living in the area. The man claims that he was being held captive in a nearby cave, and before he escaped, he had seen a body hanging from the ceiling of the cave, a body he believed to be that of Randy's. Police investigated this cave, and of course, no evidence of any crime ever being committed there was found. The man would later return to police informing them that drugs may have played a factor in the misinformation that he had given them. Randy's father, Harold, searched for years in local caves and throughout the area, never giving up hope. As recently as of January 2021, authorities conducted searches of the ponds in the area for any sign of Randy or his mother's missing Dodge. Harold and Alberta never gave up. But unfortunately, on January 28, 2021, Harold passed away. Alberta vows to continue the search for Randy, although she believes that Randy and Harold have finally found each other again. In the early morning hours of April 16, 1988, 17-year-old Randy Leach went missing. Standing six foot three, 220 pounds, with blue eyes, brown hair, and a mole on his left ear. Randy was last seen wearing Levi's blue jeans, a blue shirt, white socks, and white sneakers. Alberta Leach's car remains missing, even still today. 1985 Dodge 600 sedan, Kansas license plate, LVJ 8721. This case is still ongoing. If you have any information about Randy Leach or his last known whereabouts, please contact Leavenworth County Sheriff's Office at 1-800-572-7463.
located in Scotland's Outer Hebrides, the Flannan Isles are a small group of islands named after St. Flannan, who was a 6th century Irish bishop who later entered sainthood. St. Flannan had built a stone church on one of the isles known as Eileen Moore, which means Big Isle. Strange tales revolve around the Isle Eileen Moore, such as it's plagued with gigantic birds, tiny elf-like men, and the spirit of St. Flannan himself. These stories have kept travelers at bay as most refuse to spend the night here. In December of 1899, the lighthouse at Eileen Moore was illuminated for the very first time. The lighthouse was outfitted with a three-man crew and a rotational fourth man. The following year, on December 15, 1900, a steamer ship known as the Arctor was passing near the isle when captain and crew realized that the lighthouse at Eileen Moore had gone pitch black. When the Arctor reached shore on December 18th, the captain notified the Northern Lighthouse Board of the vanquished light. In response to this concern, the board sent a small ship known as the Hesperus, captained by Captain James Harvey on December 26th, 1900. Captain Harvey was carrying along with him lighthouse keeper Joseph Moore to the island as replacement keeper. Upon the ship's arrival, Captain Harvey sounded the ship's horn and fired a flare in an attempt to grab the attention of those in charge of watching over the lighthouse. There was no response. Captain Harvey sent Joseph Moore to make his way ashore in search of the lighthouse keepers. As he approached the lighthouse, Joseph sensed an impending doom and knew something foul was afoot immediately. The lighthouse door was unlocked and two out of three oil-skinned coats were missing, insinuating that someone had left the lighthouse without protection against the wind and stinging cold. Joseph continued to search through the lighthouse kitchen, taking note of the half-eaten food, a chair that had been overturned, and the clock had stopped. Joseph searched the entire lighthouse and found not hide nor hair of anyone. He returned to the ship to tell of his findings to Captain Harvey. The captain immediately ordered Joseph and the rest of his crew to perform a full-scale search of the island in an attempt to locate the missing keepers. They found no one. Captain Harvey sent word by way of telegram to the Northern Lighthouse Board of the mystery unfolding in front of his eyes. This was that telegram. Aye, a dreadful accident has happened at Flannan's. The three keepers... Ducat, Marshall, and the Occasional have disappeared from the island. On our arrival there this afternoon, no sign of life was to be seen on the island. I fired a rocket, but as no response was made, I managed to land Moore, who went up to the station, but found no keepers there. The clocks were stopped and the other signs indicated that this accident must have happened about a week ago. Poor fellows, they must have been blown over the cliffs or drown trying to secure a crane or something like that. Night coming on. We cannot wait to make something as to their fate. I have left Moore, MacDonald, Boymaster, 
and two seamen on the island to keep the light burning until you make other arrangements. Will not return to Oban until I hear from you. I have repeated this wire to Muirhead in case you are not at home. I will remain at the telegraph office until tonight until it closes, if you wish to wire me. Master Hesperus. After a few days' time, the board superintendent, Robert Muirhead, traveled to Eileen Moore to investigate the mysterious disappearances firsthand. Muirhead found nothing more than what had already been uncovered until he came to the lighthouse logbook. Thomas Marshall logged on December 12th, telling about high winds, describing them as severe winds the likes of which I have never seen before in 20 years. Muirhead also noted that it was logged that James Ducott had been very quiet and William MacArthur had been crying. Funny thing is, MacArthur was known to be a bit of a Scottish brawler and all-around tough guy. Why would he be crying over a storm? Log entries describe the storm of December 13th as still raging, and all three men had begun to pray. What's even more mysterious is there were no reported storms in the area on December 12th, 13th, or 14th. Weather had been calm and the storms didn't make their way toward the island until December 17th. The last entry made into the log was on December 15th, and it simply read, Storm ended, sea calm. God is over all. What did this mean? Muirhead discovered the left-behind oilskin coat indicating that one of the keepers had left out into the cold without protection from the elements. But this raised more questions. Why had the three keepers left their station when it was prohibited for them to do so? A number of ropes that had been strewn across the landing platform where boats would tie to were found. These ropes had been kept in a crate high above the platform on a crane. Had the crate fallen from on high, 70 feet to be exact, sending the ropes sprawling everywhere? Had the three keepers gone to retrieve the ropes only to be dragged out to sea by a wave that none of them saw coming? Well, this would be the explanation of the missing lighthouse keepers that Robert Muirhead wrote in his official report. One thing to keep in mind about the missing keepers, these men were not greenhorns. They each had knowledge and experience on lighthouse keeping and how to handle unexpected situations when they arose. How could three veteran keepers let a wave overtake all three of them at once? If this were the case, where were the bodies? Shouldn't they have washed up along the island's rocks somewhere? Why would an experienced keeper just leave behind his oilskin coat in December to head out into the cold? One thing that doesn't add up is the weather. Troubling still is on the dates the missing lighthouse keepers logged as the day of the storms. People on the nearby Isle of Lewis claimed to be able to see the lighthouse just as clear as day. If the storms were truly as bad as they were described, then residents of the Isle of Lewis shouldn't have been able to see the lighthouse on Eileen Moore. What happened to the keepers? It would appear as if they had been snatched from the island by someone or something. The lighthouse keepers that have followed in the years after this mysterious tragedy 
have claimed to hear strange voices howling in the wind, calling the three missing keepers out by name. Even still today, what happened on Eileen Moore so many years ago remains a mystery. Alright ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this episode of the Southern Spectre Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I think that these two stories here um, are creepy enough in themselves, you know. They're, it's pretty troubling when someone goes missing. And to not find any leads or evidence of anything is troubling enough. So please, y'all be safe out there. Keep with each other. Take care of each other. Do what you gotta do to get through these tough times. So until we meet again, I'm Isaiah Hudson, and I've been your host. Take care, everyone. Sources for today's show come from Medium.com and the website for the Northern Lighthouse Board. Our intro and outro is known as The Gates and was recorded, composed, and written by Mr. Warren P. You can find him on TikTok at Warren P.